one final time, we dip back into the online controversy, into the brew haha, as it was called. Pastor John, on September 30th, you tweeted about coffee, posted Hebrews 12.28, which says, Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And in light of that reverent vision for our worship, you posted this open question to all of us, quote, Can we reassess whether Sunday coffee sipping in the sanctuary fits? End quote. The tweet was loved. Uh, the tweet was hated. The tweet was spread all over the internet to the point that after a couple of weeks, it had over a thousand retweets, fifteen hundred comments, three thousand likes, two point seven million views, and feature articles online from Fox News and the Daily Mail. None, none of what you saw. That tweet led to uh, this little series on the podcast in part one in APJ twenty eleven. You got to the crux saying, quote, the heart of the matter is not the coffee mug in hand. It's the absence of a kind of experience with God that would make a Christian soul long for regular encounters with God and his people that are so profoundly satisfying in the depth of their being with his majesty and his sweetness and the seriousness of their joy and the weightiness of his glory that a coffee mug would simply feel strangely out of place, end quote. That was in part one in APJ 2011. And then last time you dropped into the nitty gritty with five appeals to preachers on how to move a casual church towards a more reverent and more deeply satisfying encounter with God on Sundays. That was in APJ 2012. But fostering such healthy reverence on Sunday mornings requires more than just sermons, right? We've talked about coffee. uh, We've talked about preaching now. But what about dress codes and music and announcements and all the other factors at play here uh, on Sunday mornings? One of my points so far, Tony, has been in this, which is turning out to be a three-part series on a sense of reverence and transcendence in worship. Uh, One of my points has been that we will never out-entertain the world. And therefore, it's, it's not only foolish to try, we shouldn't try because we have something better, far, far better than entertainment to offer our people, something our souls were made for, something profoundly stabilizing, strengthening, refining, satisfying at the depths of our being that we experience in moments of reverence and awe in the presence of God. That's been one of my main points. So I began last time to point what I hope is a way forward for pastors especially, but churches or people in in general in churches, a way forward to move a church gradually from the atmosphere of a casual, chipper, coffee-sipping, entertainment-oriented gathering to a more seriously joyful, reverent, deeply satisfying encounter with God. And I started by referring to the preaching of the pastor, and today I simply want to give a few suggestions about the rest of the service. I know this is not the only way that we meet God, that is, to meet him in a joyfully serious moment of reverence and awe. I know that's not the only way we encounter 
each other and God. We used to say at Bethlehem, where I was pastor for 33 years, we used to say that Sunday morning is the Mount of Transfiguration, and Sunday evening, we had Sunday evening services. Sunday evening was the Mount of Olives. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples met the majesty of Christ, and they fell on their faces speechless, or they (laughs) began to say foolish things. Mm. On the Mount of Olives, Luke tells us Jesus got away with his disciples customarily. And I picture them on the Mount of Olives, sitting on the grass with each other, talking about life and ministry getting help from Jesus, telling them the problems they've had in trying to heal the sick. These are two very different ways of meeting Christ. And my argument was, namely to my church when we talked about these things, that one hour out of our entire week to devote to a serious meeting with God in a more transcendent and reverent way was not excessive. Mm. The whole world, all week long, is urging us to equate pleasure with casual, happiness with entertainment. But on Sunday morning, our people can taste in corporate reverence and awe something far deeper, far better, far more satisfying. So, On the Mount of Transfiguration, I wore a suit. I stood behind the pulpit, big wooden pulpit, representing God's Word. And the whole service was designed with a relentless, vertical God focus. In the evening, I did not wear a suit. I dressed differently. I came down out of the pulpit. I used an overhead projector. There was interaction with the congregation and so on. You, you get the difference in the difference between the Mount of Olives and, and the Mount of Transfiguration. So, in all my pleading for a sense of reverence and awe and wonder and transcendence for the sake of God's glory and for our own hungry souls, we're starved for transcendence, I think. In all that pleading, don't hear me denying the preciousness of meeting Jesus together in informal, interactive, casual ways. God is for us in both of these encounters. Our hearts need both, and we don't live in a day where there's an excess of reverence and transcendence. So here's just a few suggestions for the rest of the service the Sunday morning service where I think it more naturally uh, adapts itself to this kind of experience with God. Number one, the pastor can lead the way in how the leaders and the people uh, up front or in the congregation, how they dress. We never prescribed a dress code for our people, Hmm. and there was a lot of variety. But we did for those who lead. Clothing speaks. What you wear says something about your understanding of the situation. A wedding, a funeral, interviewing for a job, meeting the President of the United States, playing tennis, 
sleeping, addressing the United Nations, attending a fundraising gala. What you wear speaks. It does. You cannot avoid it. It sends a message about your understanding of the event. And the message of clothing in the last 40 years in the church has largely become God does not require any particular dress or nice clothes. God accepts us as we are. Both of those messages are true. And it's not a sin to send those messages. But they're not the only message worth sending. The upfront leaders of the service will have to decide what do we want to say about God in the various gatherings of the church? Is there one gathering anywhere in the life of our people, in the life of this church, just one? where it would be worth saying with our clothes and in every other way something about the respect and reverence and awe that we have for God. Clothing is not a big thing. It's not the main thing. It's just one part of what church leaders can do to move a church toward a serious joy of reverence and awe. Number two, give serious attention to the Godward flow of the service. Strive to linger in the presence of God, focused on God, uninterrupted for a significant time. For example, avoid unnecessary spoken sutures the way different acts of worship are connected, how you move from one to the other. If you're just finishing the song, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, and the next planned act of worship is a pastoral prayer, the one who comes to pray does not need to say, let's pray. We are praying. That's what we're doing when we say, I love you, Lord. Mm. We as a congregation are loving God. We're praying to God. We're telling God. So the aim of the one leading the people in the pastoral prayer is to catch that powerful moment when the Holy Spirit is at work carrying our people Godward, and he picks up on it, and he helps the people just stay right in the prayer and carries them into communion with God in the pastoral prayer. Another example would be um, work hard to do um, the necessary horizontal acts like announcements or a word about the offering, in a Godward way. I spent hours preparing my announcements and preparing other things in the service that you have to do as a pastor. If something's happening in the life of the church that week, you have to tell the people it's happening, and you can do it in a worshipful Godward way mm. that doesn't jolt anybody out of the sweetness of the communion with God that they were just enjoying in the hymn. You don't need to joke about things. 
You don't need to ramble with trite words that you say over and over because you didn't prepare anything with a bunch of you knows and ums and ers and everybody's now deflated from where they just were in their moment of, of worship. Suppose there's going to be a fire drill. <laughs> we did this recently at our church. You get a fire drill for the kids, right? In the nursery and, the, and during the service, you got to train them for what you're going to do if there's a fire. And the people you know in the church are going to see their kids walking up the stairs, and they're going to be panicked, like, what's going on here if they don't know there's going to be a fire drill? Now, this is a worship service, right? Yeah, yeah. How do you do that? What do you say? Well, you get on your knees— at home, and you ask God, show me how to take this word about the fire drill and make you the center of it. So you conclude, I'll say this, Jesus loves our kids. You know that? He loves kids. Jesus threatened terrible things for those who would make our children stumble. So we take good care of our kids for Jesus' sake. And you're going to see them filing out here on a fire drill and you get a big smile on your face, but you're not going to joke here. You're not going to turn this into a joke. You're going to say, let's give thanks. Let's give thanks when we see those kids. What a gift from God they are to us. What a weighty responsibility. God is sufficient. Oh, how he loves and we love our children. That's the way you do it. Or something like that. There is always a sweet, good, deep, powerful, wonderful alternative to slapstick. And, and most of our pastors, I mean, that's not fair, lots of pastors and other worship leaders have no idea what I'm talking about when I say, you just don't need to turn everything into lighthearted, jokey. Okay, that's enough on that. Number three, let the sound of the congregation singing be the main sound of the music in worship. Don't let the instruments or the lead worshipers dominate the sound. That's what entertainment does. Let every song be singable. It needs to have a melody that people can grasp and enjoy. And make sure that the song is keyed so that the men can sing all the notes. It's crucial that the men of the church sing, and they will sing. They'll sing like an army if the musicians choose the songs and calibrate the songs and the range of the notes so that the men can sing. If half our songs are singable only by women, we are saying to the men, This is not for you, hmm. and you might as well grab your coffee. So let the songs be singable and let the congregation singing be the main sound of worship, not the worship team and not the instruments. Finally, number four, saturate the song lyrics, the prayers, the readings, the confessions with scripture and with rich, deep sound doctrine. This will communicate that nothing here is random or careless. It's all designed to help the people sustain a relentless focus on God. And that's the focus that will make coffee sipping seem increasingly out of place. So I end, uh, Tony, where I began uh, in the first episode on this, 
couple of episodes ago, coffee sipping in the worship service is not the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is Hebrews 12, 28. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Is there in the church a longing for this? Mm, Glorious. Thank you, Pastor John. The whole world all week long is urging us to equate pleasure with casual, happiness with entertainment. But on Sunday morning, our people can taste in corporate reverence and awe, something far deeper, far better, far more satisfying. End quote. What a hope, what a promise, what a prayer, what a vision of what our Sunday morning gatherings could be. Thank you, Pastor John, for this three-part series on building reverence into our Sunday worship gatherings and for expanding on what was behind your popular and controversial tweet. I appreciate you uh, taking time to address it. If you want to ask Pastor John, type out your question and email it to me at askpastorjohn at desiringgod.org. That's our email address, askpastorjohn at desiringgod.org. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. We will see you on Thursday.